good morning. I'm Pastor Anthony. Uh, turn with me to Exodus 5. We're going to continue the study that uh, is going on this summer of Moses and the children of Israel who have been in bondage in Egypt for several hundred years. There would not be any Hebrew alive in Egypt that didn't know what it was like to not be in slavery. They had grown up under the system and their main job was to produce bricks for Pharaoh's building project. I took a work and witness trip many years ago to the Dominican Republic where we were undergoing a building project. My job was to make concrete blocks for the project we were working on. The materials we used were a lot different than those found in the book of Exodus, but I can assure you that it was a dirty, messy, and physically demanding job. I'm glad I was in my early 40s at the time. I only had to do it for less than a week and for just a few hours a day. But by the end, I could feel it in every part of my body. I can't imagine what it must have been like to get up every day, knowing that you had to put in probably a 12 to 14 or more hours doing that, making bricks. Besides, if you didn't reach your quota, they didn't dock your pay because there wasn't any pay, there would be a sound beating waiting for you. In our passage today, we find Moses and Aaron approaching Pharaoh for the first time to request that uh, Pharaoh let the children of Israel go just for three days into the wilderness so that they could make sacrifices to the Lord. Pharaoh's response to Moses and Aaron was much like that of many today when it comes to the things of the Lord. He said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord. The story continues that Pharaoh ordered that instead of letting them do what the Lord had told them to do, that the Hebrews would not be given straw, one of the main ingredients of brick making in those days. They would have to gather it themselves from wherever they could find it. On top of that, they would not have any reduction in their production quota. The Hebrews scattered throughout Egypt looking for anything they could use to replace the straw that had formerly been provided to them. They picked up stubble, and whatever they found was never enough. And they just couldn't keep up with Pharaoh's demands. The job foreman went to Pharaoh and appealed, but Pharaoh's response to them was, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work, you will not be given any straw yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. Moses and Aaron were waiting to meet the foreman following the meeting 
with a pharaoh. And the foreman basically said, thanks a lot. They did say, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. If the story had ended there, there very well might not be a nation of Israel today. The Jews, instead of leading the way and so the Jews, instead of leading the way in so many fields, might be working for the man still in Egypt. But because of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jews have blessed the world with their knowledge and ingenuity. Just a few of their inventions, discoveries, or accomplishments are the cardiac pacemaker and defibrillator, color photography, weather radar. Don't we love that little app on our phone? The walkie-talkie, Duracell batteries. Who hasn't used Google, Facebook, and PayPal? Some of you are wearing Levi jeans that were put together by the Jews. But we get into some better ones. Dunkin' Donuts. Hasbro and Mattel toys, but the best, Haagen-Dazs ice cream. <laughs> are you getting hungry? <laughs> well, there are only about 15 million Jews worldwide, which is less than a quarter of 1% of the world's population the Jews have received at least 212 Nobel Awards, accounting for 22% of all the awards ever given. Why? Because of God's promise to Abraham way back then, when he called him to the place we now call the Holy Land. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. You may be saying, well, that's all well and good, but what does it have to do with me in 2023? Friends, it has everything to do with us. The same God that made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and delivered his people from bondage in Egypt, is the same God that has made a covenant with you and me. His covenant with us comes in the person of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus was with his disciples at what we now call the Last Supper, he said these words. He took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We are covenant people. We live under the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad of that today? Well, God's covenant with Abraham and his covenant with us 
compels us to remember several very important facts as it relates to this story and our situation. It reminds us that God's timetable is not always the same as our timetable. I'm sure the Hebrews had questioned many times over the years why God didn't step in and do something about their pain and suffering. Probably a number of them were even wondering if there was a God. But while they may have given up on God, he had never given up on them. In fact, last week's scripture reminds us the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God and God heard their groanings and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. I want you to know that God's concerned about you today. He knows where you're at. He knows the situation you're in. And while we would all like God to come down and just wave a magic spiritual wand, it doesn't always happen that way. I have a friend, a good friend. I see him about every week. He's about my age, and we grew up in the 1950s and 1960s. And uh, when you look back and remember how things used to be, and you look at the world today, you begin to question. And he asks me just about every week, why doesn't God do something? Well, I want you to know that God is up to something in our age. God isn't sleeping. God hasn't abandoned us. God is still on the throne, and he cares about you and your situation that you're in. But the reality is, his timetable is not always the same as our timetable. Then it reminds me that the God that God sees where you are and the condition and the situation you're in. There's a story in the New Testament about Jesus and a storm that arose on the Sea of Galilee that confirms this. Jesus was just a, had just had a long day of healing the sick and feeding over 5,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake. Here's the way Mark records it. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up into a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. 
Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. I'd like you to notice several very important facts about this story. First of all, they were doing exactly what God had told them to do, what Jesus had told them to do. And while they were doing it, what was he doing? He was praying, and he was probably praying for those very disciples in the midst of the storm. Notice also that he saw them and saw that they were straining at the oars. But notice what he did. He didn't immediately go to them. He stayed there and continued to pray. It says it was the middle of the night. And when he finally did go to them, it was the very end of the evening. I don't know about you, but I've been in a boat and it doesn't even have to be a storm and I can get pretty sick. If you wanna see your old pastor get sick sometime, just take me out on a boat. You don't wanna do that. But notice what Jesus did when he came to them. He didn't calm the storm. He didn't even get into the boat. He spoke words of encouragement to them before he did any of those things. He said, he, he said, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know what bad storm you're going through. But the same Jesus who spoke to those disciples in the middle of the storm is talking to you and saying, don't courage, I'm here. Everything's gonna be all right. And then Jesus got into the boat with them and Jesus calmed the storm and they got to their destination. Friends, what's our destination? Well, I hope for you it's the same as me, that it's heaven. We can let all the troubles and trials of this life get us down, and many times it feels like we're making bricks without straw. But if we have Jesus in our lives, we can rest assured that he knows what we are facing, we'll hear our prayers, and we'll, sit, we'll intercede on our behalf. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it this way. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us come boldly and firmly hold to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. This finally reminds us that not only is God's timetable not our timetable, not only that God sees us in our situation, but I would remind you today 
that God's word is always true. You won't have to look very far in today's world to find skeptics that question the word of the Lord. In fact, the devil has been doing this since the very beginning of mankind. In the garden, he questioned God's word when he asked Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Old Satan is still in the business of questioning God's word. Did God really say thou shalt not kill? He knows that it's all right to take the life of an unborn if it's not convenient for you to take, raise a child at this time. Did God really say not to commit adultery? He doesn't know about the awful marriage you're in and the wonderful life you would have with that co-worker of yours. Did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? He doesn't know the reality of the world today. All that matters is that two people love each other. Did God really say salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, then you can live any way you want, can't you? Did God really say that he's coming back and we need to be ready for his return? He's forgotten about you and is never coming back. So live however you want. I would remind you that the word of God is always true. And the devil is always a liar. Jesus speaking to the religious authorities of his day declared this about old Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let me say to you today that God's word is clear that there is no only one way of salvation, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross for our sins and arose from the grave so that we might have eternal life. There is a right way to live this life, and it can only be accomplished successfully by being filled with his Holy Spirit, who cleanses us, fills us, and empowers us to live a life that we are not capable of living on our own that Jesus is coming back soon, and we must be ready. He told his disciples, and he's still telling us today, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and you, and you, and you, and all of you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Friends, we don't have much time left. The good news is God knows all about your situation. And even though it may seem <clears throat> like he is allowing the wor world to force you to make bricks without straw, he really does have a plan for your life. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. He is in the life rescuing business. 
I'm sure the Hebrew slaves had just about given up on God, but God hadn't given up on them. When it seems like there was no hope, God sent them Moses. And God wants to do the same in your hopeless situation. Let me tell you about another friend of mine, John. John was a young man, didn't grow up with much parental supervision, got involved in things he should be, drinking and running around, break in houses to steal something, to get something to feed his habit. He wasn't a violent man. But one day he broke into a house not knowing that there was an elderly lady there. He surprised her and she surprised him. John didn't have a weapon on him, no gun, no knife. He just wanted some money so he could buy some more booze. He went to tear the cord of the telephone off the wall so she couldn't call the police. And in doing so, he knocked her down to the couch. She got up and took some money out of her purse and gave it to him. And John took off. Taking off, he fell and hit his head on the bumper of her car and kind of stunned him. She began screaming and yelling and going out in the yard and the neighbors came and find out what was going on and in the midst of that, she had a heart attack and died. They caught John. They put him on trial a public defender prosecuting attorney here in Genesee County wanted to make an example of John and so he tried him for first degree murder now my understanding of first degree murder you have the intent to kill someone the judge gave some wrong instructions to the jury and wanted to make an example to others of John and sentenced him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And at an early age, John began making his way through the prison system, never knowing if he would see the outside again. He kept trying to hire lawyers and no one would even answer his mail until one attorney whose parents attend this church took up his cause. And after nearly 40 years of being incarcerated in the state prisons, last December, John was issued a commutation of his sentence. And John's here today. And John, would you come up and join me? Would you welcome John Aslan? John, share with us 
what it's like to be in prison with no hope and, and trying to get out and just share a little bit about your story. I would just like to say uh, it, it was a terrible, trying time. Lost a lot of family. Watched uh, all my friends pass away. <laughs> uh, but I, I believed in myself because I, I know I'm a good person. And uh, I believed that God would bring me out. And, uh, a lot of prayer. And a lot of faith. I, I, I believe that uh, you say a prayer one time, you don't need to say it again. If you, if you believe in that prayer, then God will answer. And uh, I just held, held, held strong in myself. And uh, the people in this church, a lot of people prayed for me. And I know I. Uh, Ain't no doubt in my mind that that's, that's what brought me home to my family. Uh, Sally Creech's uh, daughter is the one that represented John, and it took many, many years of her dedicated work, and she's written a book. I think they may have a picture of the book go up on the screen. It's called The Nine Lives of John Aslan. Um, John, what was it like when you got the word that the governor was signing that document so you could be set free? Uh, well, actually, uh, I was called in the office. I <laughs> thought I was in trouble. <laughs> uh, the deputy called me in the office and said, I need to sit down right now. And uh, I, I sat down and he said, well, I want to be the first one to tell you that the governor signed your commutation. Uh, he told me, he said, I've watched you grow up as a troublemaker in the prison. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, but you made a lot of changes in your life, and I'm proud to tell you you're going to be going home uh, December 16th. And uh, I, uh, I uh, went back to my cell and uh, fell on the floor in prayer. <laughs> I just want to give thanks to God for <laughs> saving my life. Yes, yes, Amen. Father. Great. And maybe today, God's speaking to your heart. I believe he is to a number of people here. You think God doesn't care about you. He doesn't know about your situation. But I want you to know that he does. God's timetable is not always our timetable. God's way is not always our way. But God's word is always true.